Today is one of those days that I can really say I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Anybody with me? It's good to be in God's presence with God's people. And I'm so glad you're here, but uh, take no offense to this statement. I'm even more glad somebody else is here. Anyone just grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place as we're gathered in his name? And I just want to greet you and welcome you. I, I see uh, new faces and, and uh, familiar faces both. If you are new this morning, I want to give you a special welcome and, and ask you to do me a small favor. If you would, take a moment to fill out a connection card. These are probably found in your worship guides or somewhere nearby. And if you would, fill that out. I would love just to connect with you, and we'd love to thank you for joining us in worship. If you'll take those connection cards after service to a member of our First Impressions team, they've got a special gift for you just to say thanks for being with us. And uh, you could also place them in the offering uh, boxes by the doors if you'd like to do that. And we've got four ways you can give here at Lakeview. Remember when it was only three? Uh, we're growing up here at Lakeview. We've got four options for you. You can use those offering boxes. There's offering envelopes located in the seats nearby. Uh, then we've got our online option at lakeviewpeople.com slash give. Uh, you can text to give by using the number on the screen or it's also on the website. And then finally, we've got a brand new Lakeview app. Man, I think it's such a cool thing. Uh, we're like the Jetsons. And uh, you can download that app. You can find out more info on uh, the website to show you how to download. There's even an instructional video for you or just ask your grandchildren and they'll help you download it. <laughs> Uh, but I want to say a big thank you for being such a generous people, a giving people. Uh, we are making a big impact in our community and in the world uh, because of your generosity. And so God bless you for, for giving. I, I'm excited about the word this morning. This is uh, you know, a relationship series. And before we get into the message, let me tell you about something to do with relationships. Coming up this summer, we're going to host for the very first time a marriage conference here at uh, Lakeview. And it's going to be uh, partners with XO Marriage. If you've ever heard of that ministry, it's awesome. Uh, Jimmy and Karen Evans head that up. And if you want to just save that date, it'll be June the 2nd and 3rd. We're letting you know about it now because we're going to open registration in about a week or so. And we want to give you first options to register. But this will be open to the whole community. Uh, but it will probably fill up fast. And so if you're interested, be on the lookout for uh, some email blasts or get, get on our mailing list, whatever, so that we can get you that, that info. And uh, it's just going to be an awesome time. That'll be uh, happening in June. But right now, let's get into part three of this message series entitled, It's Complicated, But It Doesn't Have to Be. And this morning's message is entitled, Becoming One. And it's, it's been just a fun journey walking through this series on relationships. And uh, didn't uh, Pastor Mark preach a great message here last Sunday on the single life? And uh, I was sharing the same message in Vernon, and not everybody's single. So we're going to hit another people group today uh, with uh, talking to, to people about marriage and about what that covenant means. But again, the gospel is found in all these messages. So wherever you find yourself in life, this message will be for you, I can promise you. Could I ask you to bow your heads, bow your hearts with me now, and pray with me, and pray for me, just that God would have his will and his word would do its work. God, I just thank you for your presence as we are gathered in your name. And thank you for these people that are lifting up the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of your word. We want to do what you tell us to do. So speak to us, change us, challenge us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen and amen. If you would look with me at what's been our key scripture during this series. Out of the book of Romans chapter 1, if you want to follow along in your message notes. 
It says that they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. This is a big problem because here's what happens. that Then they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And remember, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome. So even Christians can get things confused and our minds can become clouded. And he warns of of this happening to people. He says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. What were some of the foolish things they did? As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And we're seeing in culture a warping and a distorting of things that God created and, and things that God intended for our lives, for our relationships. And I don't know if anybody's like me, but I've tried it my own way, and I'm ready to try God's way all the way. Can I get a good amen from somebody? And here's ultimately what happened in the final verse of this passage is they traded the truth about God for a lie. And you may be thinking, why would anybody make that trade? Why, would, why wouldn't we just listen to what God says and believe what the Lord tells us to do? Can I tell you, human nature, by nature, we're very selfish. And you may notice this morning, we've only got two blanks to fill in. Because we figured, you know what, with relationships, there's a whole lot of questions. Why don't we actually try giving some answers this morning? And they can only be found in the Word of God. So we're going to look at a lot of Scripture together. And I'm going to share a few things that won't be in your notes that you might want to write down to remember them. One of the things I want you to remember, you already know it, is that we humans are selfish by nature. I can prove it to you. Did you know I never had to teach my kids how to be selfish? They found that out on their own self. And it's kind of a fond memory of mine when my little ones began to learn to talk. Any parents in the room that you just loved, mama, dad, 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 just blessed my soul so much when they started to say, I'd give them whatever they wanted, you know. But can I tell you, not long after they learned those precious words, they learned another word that I did not like so much, and they knew it well, and it was the word mine. Any parents of teenagers in here? You know, it's just true. Early on, though, they learned that word, mine. And I would hear it all the way across. And I'll just be honest with you. When you hear them arguing and bickering back and forth, when, when right now our littlest one is, is four years old and he's just arguing for something, there's a moment in every parent's life where you don't care as much about justice as you do about silence. And I'm like, just give it to him. He steals stuff from me all the time. Have my wallet. Just be quiet. You know what I'm saying? That's real life. You just have enough, and it's like enough is enough, and I just want it to be over. And so to try to get kids off of that you know, train of thought, we try to teach them another word. And while learning to say mine comes oh so natural, they just learn it right out of the gate. This one's harder. This one takes effort on their part, and that's the word share. Mm. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, Share. And, and I, I'll tell you, this doesn't go away on its own. And even as we're older, this is something that we can struggle with, is, is learning to share. And that's what the message of becoming one is about, is, is learning to share. Look, there's a lot of things about sharing that we, even as adults, don't understand. Let me talk to the married couples for a minute. A minute. Wives, uh, we love you, and, and we do our best for you, but there's just some things we don't want to share with you. And probably right near, maybe at the top of the list, is our food. Got any real husbands in the house? 
And you know what they do. Victoria said it in first service. I heard her holler it over. I just want a little bite. Yeah, yeah the size of a velociraptor. Is... <laughs> no, you know how it goes. You go to the restaurant. You go through the drive through window. Honey, baby, sugar pie, would you like anything at all? Uh, no. I'll just have a little of yours. Oh, no, you won't. And look. This is the truth. I'll buy her double. I'll buy you two orders of what I'm ordering. I just don't want to share my food. And just so we're all theologically accurate here, spiritually speaking, the fries that fall out of my container in the bag are still my fries. (laughs) We got to get past that human nature of not wanting to share. If we really want to become one. The word one has two basic definitions in our English language. The first definition is the one that we learn early on. It's the word singular. Let me give you an example. There is one cookie left. Don't even think about it. There's another definition that is a better one. And it is more what we're striving for and what we're going to talk about today. The word one can also mean together in unity. And this is difficult to learn, especially for the Dallas Cowboys, because one example of this is working together as one team. (laughs) Hallelujah. This is ultimately the goal. Every person that's born, we all start with a singular mindset, a selfish mindset. But God's desire is for us to become unified with him First and foremost. So don't be surprised. Don't be caught off guard that there is such an attack on relationships in the world. Because if the enemy can get you to not trust relationships with people, he can cause you to to have conflict in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. So he attacks your relationship with God through your relationship with your spouses, with your kids, with your parents, with your children, with your friends, whoever it might be. He'll try to get to your relationship with God through your relationship with other people. So again, today, as we talk through the lens of marriage, realize this applies, the heart of this issue applies to just being in unity with God. So we're going to ask two very important questions. They're not complicated, but they're also not easy to answer. Number one is the question, how? How do we become one? And this is the first question, you know, that we, we usually get asked by, by children. You know, well, how do I do that? You need to tie your shoes. You need to make your bed. Well, how do I do that? And we have to teach them that. It's a learning process. And I want to show you several examples in Scripture when it talks about becoming one, spiritually speaking. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, first book of the Bible, it says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become, say it with me, one flesh. Now, I used to read this and look at this and just think, oh, they become one, and that's great, and that's, that's a beautiful picture, and I've preached that even at, at wedding ceremonies, and it's, it's not untrue, but there's two words there. It doesn't just say they become one, they become one flesh. And so, I want you to see that this is put there for a reason. God does everything for a purpose and God's word is perfect and speaks to us and teaches us. And there's some things I didn't really realize until I began studying for this message. That it, this is a phrase that Jesus used in the New Testament. Even the apostle Paul used it in one of the uh, chapters of the Bible that we call one of the marriage chapters, Ephesians chapter 5. Look at Ephesians 5.31. He's quoting it. He says, for this reason... 
A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become, there it is again, one flesh. So this is very important because it's being repeated. Did you know sometimes you got to tell your kids something more than once for them to get it? Did you know God has to do that with his children also? So you're going to see this pattern here. They'll become one flesh. Now, it begins to be defined a little bit uh, expanded on and a little bit uh, more in depth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me where it says, Do you not know that your bodies, and you do know that God knows the difference between a body, a soul, and a spirit, right? So he knows what he's speaking to Is he's speaking here through, through the word of God. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Or another way you could translate that word harlot is an adulteress. Someone who would, you know, do the act of marriage outside the sanctity and covenant of marriage. Certainly not, the word of God says. I wouldn't do that. The next verse says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? So there's a physical union. For the two, he says, shall become, and there's that phrase, quotes Genesis 2 once again, the two shall become one flesh. Again, it's a pattern in Scripture. There's a purpose behind it. But there's something deeper about a marriage than just the physical action of consummating the marriage. Any married people say amen to that. It goes far beyond that. There's, there's much more to it. And, you know, you may be saying, well, pastor, is there Scripture on that? Thank you for asking. Let's go to the very next verse of the Bible, verse 17 of that same chapter. And did you know that verse 17 comes right after verse 16? That one was free. It says, but he who is joined to the Lord, so now we're talking about the spiritual realm, is one spirit with him. So we can join you know, our bodies through the, the physical action of consummating our marriage. And there are things that we do physically in response to our relationship with God through, through Jesus Christ. But I need you to see that ultimately our physical actions aren't enough to unify us with God. In fact, they're a reflection of our spirit. The Bible says that God is spirit and those who would worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this question of how do I become one with God? How do I get past my selfish nature? You know that you can be a Christian and still struggle and still sin, right? And you're not in total union. You're not in total unity. So the question is, how do you become one spirit? And the answer is, you die. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Now, we're not talking about physically dying. Of course, we're talking about spiritual Dying to ourself. That's the way the Bible says it. Is that we need to die to self. Jesus said it. You want to follow Jesus? Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, let them deny themselves. Take up their cross. Y'all, he knew what the cross was for. It has one purpose. To kill. And here's the thing. I'm so grateful for what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. But he wasn't talking about that cross. He was talking about ours. And he said, if anyone wants to follow me, let them deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. The Apostle Paul took it a step further when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. 
Anybody remember that verse of Scripture? It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So we need to quit saying, well, I'm just doing this because this is how I am. Well, you ought to be dead, sugar. It should be Christ who lives in us. And I want to show you a little bit more about that in just a second. But Paul had to say another thing. Man, this one gets me. You ever read the Bible and you feel like, are these people watching me? It's like the thing I struggle with. Because you know you can be following God one day and then Monday hits. And then that person steps back into your life that you had tried so hard to forgive. And they start doing the same old fool things. The Apostle Paul said, I have to die daily. Crucify the flesh every day. And this is where this statement becomes true. Where we need to say, no longer will I live to serve me. But now I will live to serve someone greater than me, the Lord. That's that picture of dying to yourself. And in the covenant of marriage, it looks like this. It's still saying, no longer will I live to serve me. I will live my life to serve someone who has become more important to me, my spouse. That's what real Christianity looks like, and that's what real marriage looks like. And so, uh, ladies, I kind of teased you a little bit about the sharing food thing. Let me speak to the men for a second. Let me talk specifically to husbands. What we're hearing here is that you need to die to yourself. And I know what some of you are saying. Well, I'll die as soon as she does. That, that's how we humans are. Like, well, if I'm going to do it, they, they got to do it. Here's the problem with that. That's not how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't wait for us to get our courage up or to get ourselves cleaned up to follow through with his part of the commitment. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ went to the cross for us. And something you need to recognize is that Jesus has all authority. The Bible says he has dominion. And so can I tell you, in marriage, in relationships, it is oftentimes, I would dare say most of the time, the one who is the most dominant in that relationship needs to take the first step. You need to die to yourself. You need to die to your pride. You say, well, that's my personality. Well, is it Christ's personality is the question. Man, I'm preaching to myself. Anybody else in here, your toes are hurting. It's the truth, and we need to hear it, and we need to live it. We need to do this stuff and not just talk about it. People need to see this in the church, and, and, and we want people ultimately to, to have healthy marriages because marriage is a reflection in the Word of God of Christ's love for the church. So you see why the enemy wants to attack it and distort it and cause marriages to be dysfunctional so that it confuses and, and, and disrupts our relationship with God and how people see their relationship with God. Can I tell you, before people will see God, they're going to look at us Christians and see how we're doing with our life? Do we actually believe what we say that we believe? And there's a covenant in marriage, and there's a covenant in salvation. And the Bible says in many places, I'm going to show you one where it says it blatant, that no covenant is enforced until both parties die. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 and 17, look at this. You, I'm, I never saw this really clearly in the scripture until I was studying these past few weeks for this. And it says, for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. It goes on to say, for a covenant is valid only when men are dead. For it is never in force while the one who made it lives. So for a covenant to, to really 
be sealed and for it to matter, a death has to occur. Both parties have to be willing to go all in. The the way we say it around here is marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. You have to be completely committed on both sides for it to work the way God intended it to work. And I tell you, people have tried for a long time to make marriage different than the way God wants it. And I tell you, it doesn't work our way. And yeah, it can seem complicated, but it doesn't have to be. It's really pretty simple. It's really pretty straightforward. But how many of you know something can be simple and not easy? And there can be something that you know you're supposed to do, like not drink so many Dr. Peppers. That hurt me. You know it's not good for you, but you do it anyway, Taco Bell. It's human nature. We're selfish. We want what we want. What our flesh craves. That's why we need to crucify our flesh. It needs to die. And look, I'd say it to you this way. In marriage, every conflict you have is because one of you set up in the casket. You're like a zombie. You didn't stay dead. Because if we die to self, there's only one kind of resurrection that should happen, and that's when we get to go to heaven. Some of us keep bringing up our old self. We keep... Keep trying to resurrect our old fleshly desires in ways. The reason it's important that we die to self, here's one big reason, is that dead people don't get offended. You ever got offended at your wife or your husband? Dead people don't get offended. I'll prove it to you. Next time you go to a funeral, preferably for someone you don't know very well, walk up to that casket, make sure nobody's listening. Just say, I don't like you. And you know what? Everybody's saying you look good. No, you don't. You look dead. (laughs) They're not going to care because they're not there. They won't get offended because it doesn't matter to them. And here's the thing. We won't care if we know ultimately what what is going to happen is we're not going to be here forever. This is not my home. This, even this body, this ain't my glorified body. This one has an expiration date. And boy, is it drawing closer and closer every day. But this ain't who I ultimately am. You're just seeing the outside. You're not seeing what Jesus has done for me on the inside. So I I want you to be proud of who you are in Christ. And I want you to to be willing to say, I need to decrease. I need to die in the flesh so that Christ can be glorified and magnified by the way I live. And that should be in all of our relationship. Our relationship with Jesus should affect our relationship with everybody else. And I don't know if any of y'all are honest enough to admit this, but I am. I struggle with some things. My flesh doesn't like to stay dead. That's why it says you got to crucify the flesh daily. One of the biggest things I struggle with is forgiving certain people. In fact, there's one person in particular who, I'm not going to say their name, but that I, I genuinely, I struggle with forgiving this person. And you may be in here wondering, is it you? Possibly. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. And I've wrestled with God about this. I've heard other people talk about it. And I can jump right in. Is that I, I would almost say to the Lord, Well, God, I have a right to be mad. And I was saying something like that to him real recently. And he told me, No, you don't, son. Well, not loud. You know, just in your heart. You just feel it. Like, no, I felt a check in my heart. And I said, Well, why can't I be mad at them? I want to know. Why am I not allowed to be mad at them? Because Jesus is not mad at them. You want to be like Jesus, don't you? I got tired of being like Daniel. Daniel's got a lot of problems. Got a lot of failures. A lot of sins. 
Jesus doesn't. I want to become more and more like him. And I had to realize I had to let go of more and more stuff that had happened to me and realize he had way worse stuff happen to him. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it'll help you find healing if you can do that. And I mean, and I want to know, like, God, why aren't you mad at them? Like, and, and sometimes I get real prideful. Like, you know what they did to me about this one particular person. I'll, I'll, I'll pray it. Like, God, I'm struggling for forgive, forgiving them, but you know what they did to me. And he says, yes, and I know what you've done to me. My sins put Jesus on the cross. And no offense, but so did yours. So it caused me to slow down. It caused me to calm down. And to ask myself, who do I want to be? Do I want to be more and more like me and stay that way? Or will I say, God, I need to die to that old nature. I'm not going to let that person have that power over me anymore. I'm going to hand it over to you. And I'm so glad of the forgiveness that God gave me. And he says, freely you have received, so freely give. Again, it's not complicated, but any real people say it's not easy either. And it, it takes you know, real faith and real trust and real time. So let me talk again to the husbands in the room because, you know, whatever we're going through, you know, ultimately we, we want to be a good example in our marriage so that we're a good example of Christ's love for the church. And, and you may be thinking, you know, well, I, I, I struggle with dying to myself in my relationships, and I just want to encourage you, you might as well go ahead and die, or she's going to kill you. It's just how it is. No, I, seriously, God created women to kill you. Did you know that? I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Everything the Bible says in creation was good, right? In the beginning, God created stuff, and then he would say, it is good. You all know that. Except for one thing. It was man. Now when he initially created man, he said, I made man in my image and it is good. But what did he say was not good? For man to be alone. Because have you ever seen what kind of trouble we can get into when you leave us alone for any amount of time? And I don't know if Adam was running through the Garden of Eden with scissors or something. I'm not sure. But at some point, God said, we got to get somebody to go help him. Give him a helper or he's going to hurt himself. And so he created woman. And again, this is not theologically accurate. It's just how it plays out in my mind. But I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the Godhead, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if they're just, you know, in unity making a solution to this, what can we do? He needs to die to, to self before he kills himself. Why don't we make somebody completely opposite of him? And then we'll make them live together. That'll kill him for sure. <laughs> and I, on, the, on the other end of that is, you know, well, what about the wife? I mean, that's not fair. You know, she's going to need to die to self too. All of our human nature is selfish. Oh, but that's what children are for. Any moms in the room <laughs> testify to that. Changes your life. It changes your perspective. Changes all of those things. And so man being alone was not good. You can read it. That's what it said. But... God says you need to take care of some things in your own life before you try to share life with somebody else. And th this is what I want to show you with this second question. We've addressed like how do we become one with God, and that's 
by dying to ourselves. But the why is what will help you on those days where your flesh is asking why. Why do I have to do this? Why, why am I still reading the Bible every day? Why am I praying? Why am I forgiving? Why am I giving? Why am I helping and serving? Why all those things? Because can I just tell you, you're not always going to want to do what you need to do. That's just part of it. And that's a sign of maturity the sooner you realize that. So why do we become one? And I want to read out of Malachi chapter 2 in just a second. But let me give you an overview of, of Malachi. If you haven't read it recently or maybe you're not familiar with it. In the first chapter of Malachi, it talks about what we're doing wrong. What humans are doing wrong in our faith. In chapter 2, it talks about what humans are doing wrong in their families. Chapter 3 is what they're doing wrong in their finances. And then chapter 4 is the promise of the return of Jesus and how he's going to make everything right. And can I tell you, the sooner we realize that our faith, our family, our finances need to be under the authority of Jesus and he's the only one that can make them right, the better off we'll all be. And, and I just think that's a beautiful... It's like God writes sermons better than any preacher. You know, faith, family, finances, hallelujah. There's a series. But Malachi chapter 2, we're in the second chapter. This is where some things are going wrong in their families. And God is speaking to people. He's addressing people, correcting people, because their offerings are not being accepted because of what is happening. It says, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. So their offerings are not being accepted. Let's look at why that's happening. Yet you say, for what reason? And don't we all say this to God from time to time? Why is this happening, God? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. You think relationships aren't important to God. Look at this. With whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant is very important to God. But he did not make them one. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? We're going to ask that question. Why do we become one? He gives the answer. I love when God actually gives the answer right after it. Sometimes it's a mystery. Right here he puts it right in the very next words. Because he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. And I'm going to speak to that in just a moment because that's been misunderstood so often in the church world. He hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, he says it again, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now, let me first address that last thing we read before uh, the enemy tries to mess with your mind. Notice what it doesn't say. It never says that God hates divorced people. It says God hates divorce. And why? Because it, it, it's violent. It actually means it brings like disaster in your life. Anybody that's been through the pain or trauma of divorce, you know, you know it just, it's a sad thing and it's a hard thing. And, and I'm sorry that you went through that. You could honestly basically say this, that God hates car wrecks for the same reason. Why does God hate car wrecks? Because 
He loves people and car wrecks hurt people. Why does God hate divorce? Because God loves people and divorce hates people. And I just want you to be free from any condemnation that religion has tried to put on you that Christ has not put on us. There is no condemnation to anyone who is in Christ Jesus. So don't let any religious person try to put something on you and make you think that it's something that the blood of Jesus can't cover. They ought to be grateful God covered their sins and they need to worry a whole lot less about everybody else's sins. But I want you to know there's freedom in Christ in these things. And we don't have to just settle for you know, how things were or how it happened in our past relationships. There's a reason that God wants you to believe and have hope for, for the unity of relationships so that you believe in your relationship with him. And why, why have this unity? Because of godly offspring. And this is about more than just physical children. Notice it talks about the spirit. Take heed to your spirit. And there are spiritual offspring that that we are producing, that we are discipling. Did you know if you're a Christian and people are observing your life, you're discipling people one way or the other, whether or not you realize it. Because they're watching your example. Your children will follow your example. Your spiritual children will follow our example in the church. And so we need to be very careful that we are being Christ-like with the way we live our lives. Because it's a powerful force, this unification and in Scripture, the, the, the Word of God shows us that one plus one doesn't just equal two in the kingdom of God. In fact, in the Bible, it says that one of us can send a thousand to flight, but two of us can send ten thousand. I'm no mathematician, but ten thousand is more than two. Ten times. You know, it's just it's exponential. And I can tell you in my life, Victoria and I just have, have noticed when we're in unity, it changes the impact we have on our kids. Your kids, man, sometimes those little boogers need something cast out of them. So one of you parenting can cast out a thousand, but two of you in unity can get rid of a legion. Hallelujah. Same way in the church world, when we're in unity, when we're, when we're unified under the banner of Christ, we can do so much more. And so we need to learn how to live with one another. We need to learn how to live in grace. And we're thankful for God's grace, so let's be an example of it to other people in our marriages, in our families, in our church family. Look, sometimes you just need to understand that you're not going to understand everything. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that men, you ought to live with your wives with understanding. It does not say you will understand them, because that's impossible. Just kidding. But it does say that. You just live with understanding. Do you see the difference? You don't have to understand everything to have understanding in every situation and try to see things from another perspective than just your own selfish perspective. But to do this, you have to die to self. And I do too. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. And just kind of uh, in closing, I'm going to go ahead and and ask those that are going to be water baptized, if y'all want to go ahead and just uh, get ready really quickly. Um, I've shared with y'all before that our family is going through some hard things. And uh, my brother-in-law, I don't know if he'd be watching, but uh, he's, he's just one of my favorite people. And he's in a, a fight for his life, uh, battling with stage four lung cancer. But I don't just sing those songs that we sang earlier that says God can do anything. I believe what the word of God says, that all things are possible to those who believe. So will you believe with us for his complete healing? In the name of Jesus. 
But it's hard to see him hurting, and it's been hard to watch, you know, uh, my sister, his wife, and his kids, and, you know, this, it, personally, it's caused me to be a, b- a little bit uh, reflective about my own family and my own mortality, because uh, I lost my dad a, a little over five years ago, and uh, Doug is one of those father figures. I've, I've got a couple of them, and, and even we've got another, another man in my life. We don't have all the details yet, but just a couple of guys in my life who I love very dearly are just going through, through a lot physically dealing with cancer. I hate that disease. Um, but it's just made me think about my life. And, you know, I started to talk to God and just be like, man, I can't imagine what that would be like having these conversations. One thing that my sister and brother-in-law have said that has been a silver lining, has been a blessing out of this really difficult season is that it's taught them not to leave things unsaid. And it's sad that sometimes we say things at a funeral for somebody that we never told them while they were still alive. And so I don't want to be that way. And I don't want you to be that way. I want us to live differently as people of God. Many Christians think, well, you know what? I'll just be happy someday when I die and go to heaven. And I want to say, why not now? Why not start today living knowing that we're not promised tomorrow? When I looked at my wife and my kids the other night, just we were praying together, I just thought, I can't imagine not being around them. And it's like the Holy Spirit really did convict my heart and he said, you're around them now. What are you waiting for? Let's be that way in our relationships. Let's be bold enough to tell people we love them, to show them. Be courageous enough to forgive people even if they don't receive it. You do what God's told you to do and and he'll deal with them about what they need to do. This is what Christianity really is supposed to look like. And in in a lot of ways, it's what marriage is supposed to look like. It's saying, this is so precious to me, I don't want to waste a moment of it. It's so precious that I I don't want to mess it up. So again, when you think about marriage, when you think about Christianity, it can feel really complicated. This relationship with God, relationship with people can feel complicated, but it really doesn't have to be. It's pretty straightforward. I've wondered about this, and this is... I heard a pastor share this example, and it it just struck my heart, so I want to share it with you, where he said, I wonder what would have happened if Adam didn't eat the fruit in the garden, the forbidden fruit. You know, Eve did eat it first. Please remember that, ladies. Here's the truth. Adam was right there with her, and he did nothing to protect her or to try to help her. All he did was follow right along. So there shouldn't be any finger pointing. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's sinned, men and women. Everybody that's ever been born except for Jesus Christ. But I wonder if Adam hadn't eaten the fruit. And the way, the way I heard it was, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to know what would have happened? Now, it didn't happen. And, you know, there really, I guess, is no real benefit to speculate what would have happened. But maybe it would have been something like this where God would have had to come to him and say, Son, I'm sorry to tell you this. But the bride I made for you and gave to you sinned and is dying. And you're going to lose her. And if you've ever lost a loved one, you know how hard that is. And especially maybe if it's from sickness or something where you're given a diagnosis and you know what's coming. It's almost like the grief process starts way before they're gone. 
that's, that's a hypothetical, but here's something that really did happen. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ, correct? It's just what Scripture says. And he's coming back for his bride. And at some point, sorry, I thought doing this in first service, I'd be ready. But just when I think about Jesus and the Father having to come to him and say, the bride I made for you and gave to you. You know, the only reason God made us is because he, he wanted somebody to love and somebody that would just be there with him and hang out with him. He didn't intend for all these rules. Man, the rules were really simple. Just don't eat the fruit. That's it. We complicate things. God doesn't. But he had to go to Jesus. You know, the father has to say to the son, son, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the one whom you love sinned and is dying. And uh, you're going to lose them. And I don't know why he did it. I don't know why, because I've been around us people. I've been around ourselves. We're messed up, man. But, but Jesus, in his love, said, I don't want to lose them. But the law of God, you saw with the covenant, said there has to be payment. There has to be a debt. And Jesus may have said something like, I don't want them to die. But the Father said, well, someone has to die. And Jesus said, then let it be me. What else do we need? You know what? It shouldn't take flashy programs or fancy words or churches being perfect for people who want to serve Jesus. It says that he gave himself for the church the same way a husband should give himself for his wife. That the church should serve him the same way a wife works together with her husband. It's, it's in unity. Not 50-50, 100-100. Jesus deserves that. If you don't ever do anything right or I mess everything up, we're, do, we're doing this for Jesus, right? Not for one another. I'm so tired of church people giving up on one another when God hasn't given up on us. Let's do better. Let's do better in our church. Let's do better in our marriages. Let's do better with our kids, man. It's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Let's become one with what God wants more than what we want. Jesus said, I'll die so that my bride will live. And now, that's the picture of the perfect marriage. For us to come into that covenant with him, now we must take up our cross, deny ourselves. Both parties have to be willing to give it all for the covenant to work the way God designed it. I want to ask if you would to bow your heads and bow your hearts in this moment. And that's about the best way I can try to express the gospel, that you did nothing to deserve salvation. Jesus did everything. And so anything we do is in response to what he's already done. So him asking us to, to die to self is nothing compared to what he already did. So if you're in this place and you say, I am not in right standing with God and I need to get right. I, I realize how much God has done for me and I haven't been willing to really give him my whole heart and I want to today. If that's you, would you raise your hand quickly? I'd like to pray. God bless you, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Several of God bless you, sir. Yes, sir. Hands going up all over this place. God bless y'all. You can put your hands down. Thank you for your honesty, your boldness before God. Can we just pray with these? And let me tell you, this is all the Bible says you got to do because Jesus already did everything. They said, if you'll believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus gave his life for you, but he didn't stay dead. If you believe that he raised from the dead and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, let people know you love him. 
the Bible says you will be saved. Not because of anything good you did to deserve it, because of the great thing Jesus did on the cross. So right now, would you just begin from your own heart? You don't need me to tell you how to say you're sorry. Would you just confess your sins before the Lord, the Bible says. And he says that when you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to pray with you, and I just want you to talk to God from your heart. Heavenly Father, for every man and woman who just was so honest and open before you to say they they failed you. We've sinned against you. God, all of us have sinned and fall short of your glory. We ask you now, God, to forgive us. And we put our faith in the precious blood of Jesus, the only thing that can wash us clean. And God, I thank you that you make us free of guilt and shame so the devil has nothing else to hold against us as we give our life to you right now. So Lord, I just pray that they would know that by faith they have been saved through you, Lord Jesus. And so anything we do with our life now is in response to you giving your life for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray, and all who believe and receive that said, amen, amen. Would somebody give the Lord praise and rejoice for these that made that awesome decision. God bless you, saints. At this time, we're going to welcome the kids in, and we're going to celebrate with several people getting water baptized who they're going public. They're saying, Jesus saved me. He loved me and I love him too. And I don't care who knows it. It's awesome what they're doing. So I'm going to invite you to stand and they can bring the kids in. The worship team is going to come at this time. Uh, Miss Hannah is going to lead you in worship as I go get ready. And can we just glorify God for lives changed in this place? And if you need to take that next step of water baptism, let us know. We do this every month on the third Sunday or we'll make it happen whenever you need us to. But right now, can we just open our heart to God? Because because of God, anything's possible. Man, if he can make us new, he can do anything. Amen. So he's in this place. If you need anything from him, would you open your heart to him? And let's just rejoice in the Lord and worship him. Hannah, would you lead us?
Mansell. I'm excited. She's excited. And it, if you will, I won't take long, but if you'll stay standing, because this is a special moment for all these. We got five people about to get baptized here today. It's awesome. And I want to give a shout out to our Vernon campus. Pastor Clint's there this morning, and he's baptizing three in Vernon this morning as well. So to God be the glory for just lives committed to the Lord. Miss Chancel, if you'll scoot back over here for me for just a second, I'm going to ask you a big question, sister. Do you publicly, before your family in Christ, all these people here, do you just declare that Jesus is your Savior and Lord? Can you say, say it real loud? Yes. Yes, that's awesome. Then it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you hold your nose for me? This is her big brother Levi, and he's not afraid of you seeing him. Can I? Let me, let me get up here too, man. Let me be in the picture. Uh, I'm proud of this young man and just his heart for the Lord and just good on you, mom and dad, man, and the family that just supports y'all. And they're just—it's awesome to see your kids giving their hearts to the Lord. Levi, same question for you. To all these people, are you proud to say that Jesus is your Savior and Lord? Yes. That's a big yes. Amen. And I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you hold your nose for me? All right. Gavin, I like this kid, man. He's he's he asks questions. You know that you ask a lot of questions. I do. But I like it. I'm just messing with you. But he really, I believe, has a heart for the Lord. I've seen it in our discussion times in in youth and things like that. And Gavin, I was so proud to hear you want to get get baptized today. So same question for you before your family and our church family. Do you publicly confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Yes. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Loud and proud. I love it. And I baptize you, brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Michael. They're getting bigger. And uh, just honored to stand here. Man, I was excited to, that you wanted to get baptized. I've been seeing God do great things in your life. Hadn't he made a big change yeah. in your life? Yes. And uh, you just stand here an example of the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you the same question before these witnesses. Your family in God, mm -hmm. do you publicly confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Yes. Then it's my honor as a minister of the gospel to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I had to save this guy for last because one, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get him out of the water but I've known you for a minute and I'm proud of you, Waylon I've been seeing just growth spiritually and uh, it's so cool he'd, he'd shared with me, if you don't mind me sharing that, you know, he got baptized when he was younger uh, but he said, I just understand more what it means, and I feel like I need to do this. And I think that's an awesome testimony. And, uh, brother, I just want to ask you the same challenge, the same charge. 
before these witnesses, your family in Christ, do you publicly confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Yes. Then I baptize you, my friend, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Where's Cody and Misty at? Man, they grow up quick, brother. They just they grow up quick. Thank the Lord he helped me stand up. <laughs> we need each other's help from time to time. And church, you're such a blessing to us. I want you to know we love you, and God loves you even more than I do. I'm going to pray a blessing over you, but I want to ask the prayer team to come forward. If just some would come and kind of scoot past the kids. If you need prayer for anything, uh, we'll stay and pray with you as long as you need. And Please don't leave here if your heart is heavy or hurting. Ask somebody to be in agreement with you in prayer because that's something the Bible told us to do. It's that there's power in agreement in prayer. So can we pray together? Then I'll dismiss you and the worship team will just sing you out. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you so much for these wonderful people whom you love. And I just pray that, that you would use us as your vessels, your examples of love to other people. Let it, your relationship with us shine through in our relationships with others. And we go forth being your ambassadors. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, come in anytime.